one of the things you said about this that for me that was so key was this understanding that Russia and China have and have had throughout this whole conflict. And it really is, I mean, we focus here on this channel. I bring you on because you have both this military expertise and you can talk about the politics, the principles. You know, not many people can do that, analyze military and analyze geopolitics. We focus mostly here on the analysis and the geopolitics and the principles. And China has these very firm principles when it comes to diplomacy and the international law framework, the uh, UN Charter, its commitment to non-interference, very firm and strict. And so, as I've been saying since the beginning, this conflict in Ukraine, this uh, NATO war in Ukraine really did challenge everyone. You know, it challenged everybody's, whether it's the aggressors, the Western powers, it challenged everyone to, well, what do you really stand for? Because now Russia is standing up and saying, this is what we're going to do because we need to do it. And China's, in my opinion, throughout this whole year plus, has really been navigating, I think, quite effectively, almost geniusly, sticking by its principles, saying, we, yeah, no, we stand. But every time Russia made a move, they weren't going to go against Russia. Russia is their biggest friend, biggest partner. They're not going to go against Russia. They don't want to see Ukraine. Sorry, they don't want a war. But Russia also didn't want a war. So they already have this unity. And China has done this since the beginning with most issues. It's not going to make an offensive position on anything, even what the U.S. does. It's not going to say that we're going to step in and stop you from doing that, but it will take a firm position on what they believe needs to happen and then pursue that based on what's actually in front of them and then speak with Russia how Russia should be spoken to as a real friend because there's nothing to say. There, there's really no other reason to believe otherwise. So they talk, they, you know, they, they, Right before the conflict, you remember the Olympics, like there was definitely conversations about what was about to happen. And it happened, you know, and then we saw the special military operation happen. And now China is coming in with this strong momentum from the Saudi Arabia-Iran peace deal. Strong momentum. Going to go to Moscow. You're right. I believe, I agree 100%. There is a plan already in place to be adopted. And the, the strategy, just the political strategy of Going to Moscow first because you know Moscow, Russia is serious about peace. And then bringing it to Zelensky. Forget NATO. Forget the United States. They're not going to listen to this until the big, the highest pressure is brought to bear upon them. So they bring it to Zelensky, the, uh, you know, <laughs> this puppet, so to speak. Bring it to him. Say, what are you going to do about this? Like, are you going to agree? And if not, then, you know, they, they go about their business and continue to pursue whatever is going to happen after that. But it does bring, I think, the highest amount of pressure upon all the parties in the conflict to come to a peace agreement, just the way they're going about this. And I, I find it to be genius, but very subtle. I don't think we would be able to see this if we were just talking about it from mainstream media headlines. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, in, in a supporting operation, I think what gives the Chinese even more credibility on their uh, Moscow-Ukraine initiative is what they pulled off with uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran. Um, and it's more than just diplomacy. I mean, first of all, let's just talk about geopolitics here. Um, they have turned the crisis of conflict, crisis or the crescent of conflict, the crescent of chaos, which, you know, is what exists right now from Lebanon down to Yemen and all in between is this uh, Shia-Sunni, you know, 
unrest that's fueled by the uh, regional competition between Iran on the one hand and Saudi Arabia on the other. Um, they've turned this into a crescent of cooperation, uh, potentially. I mean, imagine a situation where Hezbollah will sit down now and negotiate in a um, realistic fashion with the Christians and the Sunnis of Lebanon who are backed by the Saudis because the Saudis are not saying, yeah, uh, before we told you no deal, now we're telling you deal, make a deal. And China is talking about, you know, what is what does China get out of this? Uh, well, we'll get into that in a second. But the first of all, China's opening up, um, you know, Belt and Roads Initiative type penetration into the Middle East on a major way. Uh, you know, the United States with our genius, uh, far reaching, you know, looking afar foreign policy are sanctioning the hell out of everybody. Now we won't even allow aid to go to Syria after the earthquake because we're such bad word. I won't say it, but we're, you know, we're that. Um, you know, and the same thing with Lebanon, the suffering that's taking place. We have this, you know, the, the Caesar Act in place, I believe. And so we're, you know, we're, we're sanctioning Lebanon. So we can't help their economy grow and all that stuff. The Chinese are like, we don't do sanctions. Um, but what we don't do also is go into a place where you guys are killing one another. We don't like that either. So we'd like you to sit down and make peace. And then we're going to come in and we're going to make you all look good by helping you build this thing up. Um, and I think that the Chinese are doing it. So you're, you're looking at the potential. I mean, my God, can we bring it into that the, the war in Yemen? Could you imagine this time next year not having to turn on TV or the Internet and see the pictures of the starving children? Could you imagine that? Uh, I mean, I'm far away from that. I get teary-eyed going, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be great. But imagine being the mother of a Yemen, you know, of a child saying, my child could actually get nutrition, um, wake up in the morning without bombing, and go to school and get an education. Um, that's what this – peace agreement this this normalization relations creates but here's the big deal is the chinese as much as they like peace you know they're not really big kumbaya people you know they they don't necessarily want to come together and get everybody to hold hands from lebanon down to to yemen and sing kumbaya and it's wonderful and everything like that the chinese are business people they're about business and what they've just done with this because who, who applied to join BRICS, that, that, that economic forum that's competing with the G7? Because this is some of the biggest news out there. I know some people disagree with me, but I think this is a big deal. Um, Iran, Iran applied. They're probably going to be brought in. And now who has said, we want to join BRICS too? Saudi Arabia. Now, that doesn't work if Saudi Arabia and Iran are going to war with each other. Because BRICS isn't about bringing in people who want to fight one another. Um, BRICS is about bringing about stability. That's why BRICS is so important between India and China, because you can't have these two guys going at it. They need to be cooperating. And it's working. It's tough because the Indian and Chinese relationship is a tough relationship. But because of now a shared um, economic interest, um, and again, James Carville, it's the economy stupid, applies globally, not just in the United States. So the Chinese, what do they need to make their economy rumble? Energy. They need energy. And uh, who's got energy? Well, the Iranians have it. The Saudis have it. And guess what happens when you take two of the world's largest oil producers and you create stability in another large oil producer, Iraq? Um, <laughs> suddenly the Chinese are going, we got leverage all over the place here, guys. Um, 
And now the United States and Europe going, well, wait a minute, Saudi Arabia was our energy accelerator, decelerator. When we needed, you know, cheap gas, they, uh, they produced a lot. When we needed, you know, to, to raise the prices, they, to help American producers, they would lower it. The Chinese were our boys. They did what we wanted. I'm not Chinese, the, the Saudis. The Saudis are like, we ain't play that game anymore. You know, you guys stabbed us in the back. You don't treat us right. We're going to the Chinese because there is no moral code to deal with with the Chinese. They don't have some artificial, you know, you got to do X, Y, and Z. The Chinese are like, you're Saudi Arabia. You guys figure it out. We prefer you to do it in a, in a pleasant way. But, uh, if your gig is to go out and execute 20 people on a weekend, swing the sword, baby. We don't care. All we care about is that we get access to that oil and we get access into your country. So our Chinese, uh, you know, construction teams can come in and build highways and great infrastructure and all this kind of stuff. And then you benefit. Um, that's a Chinese approach and they are locking it up. You know, um, if you take a look at the, um, international monetary funds, um, uh, world economic outlook that was published in October. I know five months ago, I know, come on, Scott, got to have current data. Well, sometimes data, you know, it's, it's pretty cool if you reevaluate data. I mean, uh, imagine if all you did when you looked at the uh, World Bank's or the IMF's uh, world economic outlook was to look at just pure GDP. Mm-hmm. You're doing a GDP analysis. And so you're focused on that. And right now, you know, the West still looks pretty good because they've artificially hyped up their GDP numbers. And when you compare it with the lesser GDP numbers of Russia and all those countries, the G7 is looking pretty strong and BRICS is looking, you know. But what if we went to PPP, you know, the, 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 the parity numbers, converting GDP into what it actually means in terms of buying power, purchasing power? Um, wow, something really big happens. BRICS has a larger share of the global economy than the G7. And that doesn't include Iran and Saudi Arabia. Imagine how you throw them in. Argentina wants to join. Egypt wants to join. Turkey wants to join. BRICS suddenly is exploding with this, you know, the kind of economic potential that is needed to create what Russia and China talked about. You mentioned it back in the, at the Olympics, Trans-Eurasian Economic Union. Now in the West, everybody's going, what? How do you spell that? Um, well, you better learn, guys, because it's real and it's going to be the engine that drives the global economy in the next century. Trans-Eurasian Economic Union. Ask yourself why Iran um, is suddenly not so worried about the JCPOA. You know, why would Iran want to get the JCPOA? So sanctions can be lifted. So what? So they can do business with Europe. They can do business with the West. The allure of that's gone. What Iran's doing now is saying, wait a minute, you mean we had these neighbors over here? Oh, hey, Turkmenistan, how you doing? Uzbekistan, how you guys doing down there? Um, want us to come over and play? Yeah, we'll go play. And so Iran's now moving into this undeveloped Eurasian hinterland, working with the Chinese, who they just did a peace treaty with the Saudis, and the Saudis are backing up because they got a lot of money. So you get Saudi investment, Iranian know-how, Chinese investment. The next thing you know, this thing's clicking and America and Europe are sitting there going, what happened? What, what, what happened? I thought we were the world leaders. Uh, it's not no, this is like, you know, you're, you're doing the Indianapolis 500 race and you think you're in the lead and you pull in for a pit stop and you come out and you're 20 laps behind and they ain't going to pit anymore. 
<laughs> you know, because they're gone. You lost that race, man. And that's what's happened here. That's what the importance of this is. You know, nobody's looking at PPP uh, ratios. Uh, there's there's a, uh, a, a nice boutique uh, analytical group, uh, Acorn uh, MC. Um, they looked at it, you know, but the big, big people uh, out there, they're not looking at it. They're working on GDP. It ain't GDP that's going to make this new multipolarity work. What makes the new multipolarity work are numbers that have meaning across the board, not numbers that have meaning only in isolation. And so, you know, your PPP calculations are everything. And um, hats off to Acorn uh, MC. You guys did a good job. Richard, nod to you. Um, he's the analyst who did it, so I'm calling him out, giving him full credit. Um, but, you know, this is this is what the world is today. And so now we have China doing this. So now understand what we're saying. Now I just painted this picture where China is pretty much single-handedly redefined the world, single-handedly redefined the world in a way that China is sort of the world leader. And they didn't have to invade anybody. They didn't have to bully anybody. They didn't have to sanction anybody. They were just the Chinese out there going, hey, hey, deal, deal. Wham. Redefine the whole world. I don't think I'm going to say it one more time because I want people to understand this Iranian Saudi Arabia deal is a big deal. This is one of the biggest deals. The world has been redefined, reimagined. It ain't what it was yesterday, guys. It ain't a European centric. Europe ain't the garden. I know Burrell said it was the garden. Europe is the pathetic weed infested, you know, cesspool of whatever it is. It ain't the garden anymore. All right. The garden is in Transurasia. That's the new garden. Yeah, they may not have, you know, European, you know, tulips out of Amsterdam, but they certainly got date trees. They got a whole bunch of other cool stuff that has that Eurasian feel to it. And that's the way the world's going to be ticking there. Not off of Europe anymore. Definitely not off the United States. Doesn't mean they go away. They don't go away. But it doesn't mean they're calling the shots anymore. And that's the thing. So now, with that, now let's reevaluate China going to Moscow. Because now this isn't just an act in isolation. This is China coming in having redefined the entire world. So now when China does its backseat diplomacy with the Europeans and the Americans, they're not just saying, hey, getting this peace deal done with Ukraine is the best thing for Europe. They're sitting there saying this may be the only thing that can keep you economically viable in the newly redefined world. Do you really want to marry yourselves to a war that's just going to bankrupt you more? suck away more of your resources that you're going to lose or you want to get out of this and get your act together so you can come in and plug into what we're doing over here which is pretty damn exciting and we'd like you to be a part of it see we're not anti-american i know you're anti-chinese but we're not anti-american we want you to be a part of this miracle because you got stuff we don't have you got some great industry you got wonderful technology we need you plugged in over here america europe you too we need you too but we can't have you be part of this as long as you're doing that in Ukraine. We're giving you an opportunity to end this war, to bring this thing to a close, and then to get your get your house in order and come on over, man. There's a lot of pie out here. You know, we can cut this thing up any way, any way you guys want it. Well, China gets a big piece, but uh, <laughs> but my point is that's what China has to offer. They're not. I don't think most Americans understand. The role China plays today, they're, you know, again, they're like me, you know, 
I'm typical, can't pronounce the Chinese leader's name, uh, you know, because I'm pretty stupid. But that's okay. At least I try. Most Americans, they don't have a clue. China to them is the, the made in China on the electronics they plug in at Christmas. I got a new Xbox. I don't even know what they're up to. Xbox five. I, who knows? Uh, you know, I got this, my iPhone. Oh, made in China. Yeah. Good. Chinese iPhones. Uh, you know, the, we, we know China that way, but we don't respect them. We don't respect them for what they've accomplished. Hey, America, we got 300 plus million people, 340 million people. That's a big population. Do you know that the Chinese every five years have raised up 300 million Chinese out of poverty in the middle class? Every five years, China has created an America, taken an America out of poverty and turned it into a middle class. In America, a nation of 340 million people, we don't have 340 million people in the middle class. The middle class is shrinking. The underclass is expanding. The rich are getting richer. Um, but in China, they actually have gone in and they, this has been going on for like 20 years. Every five years, 300 million people, boom, 300 million people, boom. Has it been perfect? Nope. Not at all. And that, you know, a lot of people are out there, oh, yeah, but they built cities that never got occupied. Now they got to blow them up. Okay. Yeah. And, and they still took 300 million people out of poverty every five years, uh, which means they have now a middle class that is easily three, four times the size of America. And if you say that the middle class is the engine of a modern economy, especially a consumer-driven economy, understand that the Chinese engine is bigger than ours. Um, so wake up, America. And then when was the last time the United States had a diplomatic, you know, victory? I mean, of this scope and scale. I mean, Camp David Accords never worked. Never worked. I mean, um, Barack Obama, he didn't do anything. He got the Nobel Peace Prize just for being black, I guess. Um, and I'm not racist. I'm just making an obvious statement here that he didn't do a damn thing and he got the Nobel Peace Prize. Um, now we got a yellow man out there doing stuff, doing stuff that's changing the world for the better. And I hope to God that the Nobel Prize Committee stops giving away this this uh, award for political purposes to, you know, publishers who hate Russia and, uh, you know, people who hate this and hate that. And why don't you give it to a man that's actually making the world a better place to live? The Chinese president. He deserves this. You know, the guy is, is and I know he's, he's an autocrat. He's a dictator. I don't know. What would you be if you had a nation of uh, over a billion people? who um, one mistake and they all starved to death. You know, <laughs> but keep that in mind. You know, the, the margin of error is not there. Uh, you know, you have a bad harvest, people die. So you got to go out there and secure food supplies. You got to secure energy supplies. And I don't know, maybe go to Shanghai and get on a train and go someplace in China and tell me how that ride was, how you enjoyed that one. And then come back and go to JFK and get on, uh, get on the train and, and come in and get on the subway and, uh, hope you don't get killed by the concrete coming down or mugged or whatever. Um, so, you know, America, we have to start waking up to the fact that we're not doing it the best anymore. There was one time when we were and we have a lot to offer, but there's people out there doing it better. Russia, Vladimir Putin, the worst president in the world. He doesn't care about the Russian people. Why did he just build a new subway ring around Moscow? And if you go and look at it, it's like, oh, my God, type beautiful kind of stuff. Um, 
you know, we got to do better, but we can't do better if we're going to be plugged into this war in Ukraine, sucking our resources dry um, and, and dividing the world. And China's given us an opportunity to rectify a lot of the errors that we've made in the past. I hope we have political leaders that are um, smart enough to take advantage of it.